This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com. www.kangaroofern.com. A Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate Production. Usapang CQ is a weekly talk show about the life of OFWs during the time of pandemic. Veteran foreign affairs journalist turned financial advisor Malu Talosig Bartolome talks to OFWs themselves and migration specialists to check out what's the current situation of OFWs, how the COVID-19 is affecting their livelihood, understanding the environment they are in, and how they can move forward despite the lingering uncertainty. Usapang CQ with Malu Talosig Bartolome. My first Facebook live in this page, Facebook page Coach Malu Bartolome. May I see? Sino po yung mga nandito na? Ah, sige, special mention ko si Ambassador Gary Domingo from New Zealand. Thank you po. And sige, comment section muna mga friends. Sino-sino, where are you coming from? Please type in the comment section in the box. Chat box. Comment box. Meron po dyan comment box. Okay, we have Dennis Alipio from Ilocos Norte. Kumusta wow. dyan? Wow! Jota Losig, sister from Cavite. And Lailen Saspa, may another sister from Cavite. Ako na lang, good PM po watching from Riyadh. Oh my God! I'm so excited. And Leica Fajardo, my sister at oh, di ba? Oh, di ba? We're live. And... We are so privileged to have in our first Facebook Live. Uh, this guy I just met and I'm so enamored by his uh, credentials. And just ko, naloka ako, di ba? He's so young. And naloka naman ako, di ba? Ako majonda-jonda na. Pero hindi ganyan ang credentials ko. And by the way, um, just for those who just tuned in live, uh, how many of you here are so excited? Oh my God! Chat in. Meron po tayong chat box. Lagay niyo po ang inyong comment section. And those who are sharing, those who are sharing my page, thank you very much po sa mga nag-share. Thank you po. Okay. Uh, sino pa po dyan yung mga nagko-comment? Ah, and how many of you here feel that uh, wala po kayong nakikitang mga balita tungkol sa Middle East, mga OFW sa Middle East? Yan. At yung mga iba po ba dyan, wala, hindi ba kayo interesado? Siguro hindi na kayo dapat nandito sa page. <laughs> Pero join us here. Uh, welcome to my Facebook Live. I'm Maduta Losig Bartolome, a financial advisor and a certified investment advisor of Full Life UK. It's a British insurer but we're based here in the Philippines. And this is Usapang CQ, COVID in the Middle East. All right, very good. Hi, 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 hi. In the next 45 minutes, okay, you're you're seeing now uh, Froilan, Froilan Malit. Uh, can we hear from you, Froilan? Uh, yes, oh, yeah, I can hear you well. Yeah. 
Thanks for accepting my invitation. It's a pleasure po. Uh, maraming salamat po. Okay. So in the next 45 minutes of this Facebook Live, we'll just tackle three things, right? So what, number one, is what is the general situation of COVID-19 pandemic in the Middle East? Can you share that to us, Froilan? Huh? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And then how is the pandemic affecting our OFWs? Yeah, yung mga importante po sa mga OFWs natin. And what can our OFWs, their families here in the Philippines and the Philippine government perhaps, perhaps those who are watching us, should do or should expect in the next months to come? Kasi hindi naman to natapos lang, di ba? Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So before we start with our webinar, can I just uh, uh, share to you um, about myself? Okay, I'm Malu Talosig Bartolome. I'm 25 years in the media industry. And uh, I just recently joined financial, uh, the financial world, uh, which is uh, Pro Life UK, as a financial advisor. Because I'm feeling ko, uh, I I, I um, parang gusto ko family. Ko. Although my passion is really on the news. So right now, parang feeling ko, uh, I can do both. I can wear two hats okay, at the same time. So I have, I still have my uh, friends who are from the media industry. I still have friends from the uh, media sector and from other industries who may be also interested to join us in our Facebook Live. And this is just an offering for those who feel that they need something to know about the Middle East, I uh, know the Middle East region. Uh, so before, um, so can can we just start with um, Froilan? Froilan. Yeah. Uh, can I uh, introduce to you first our guest, our guest speaker, Froilan oh, Froilan Malit, tama? Malit ba? Tama Froilan? Malit? Uh, Malit po. Malit. Ah, Malit. Yeah. Malit is a Gulf migration specialist at the Gulf Labor Markets and Migration and the Managing Director of Rights Corridor. It's a regional news platform and research on migrant on migration and rights issues. So over the past years, Froilan has worked and lived across the Gulf region. He's now based in where? Dubai? Dubai ba, Roy? Uh, so, UA, so UK and Dubai. Uh, okay, so he's traveling uh, both UK and Dubai. And yes, uh, he's working as technical migration consultant for a number of regional international organizations like Abu Dhabi Dialogue, ILO, IOM. He's also an advisory committee member of the ILO Regional Office for Arab States Migration Advisory Group and the Center for Global Developments, Global Mobility Project. My God, my God, grabe. And my book din siya. He's recently co-authored a book called Recent Migrations and Refugees in the MENA Region. All right. So, and before that, he holds a degree from Cornell University, University of Oxford, and a migration certificate from the U European University Institute. Diba? He's currently studying international relations in the Department of Politics and International Studies at the University of Cambridge. Okay. But before that, ano, um, so yeah, without further ado, let us just give a round of applause to our guest, Froilan Mali. <laughs> Thank you, Froilan. Um, bago yung mga napaka napaka-impressive na resume na binasa ko, napagod ako doon, ah. <laughs> uh, can you tell us um, about yourself first? Um, you are uh, an OFW, an anak ka ng OFW, tama ba? Yes, po. Yeah. 
Um, can you share us your story? Well, una po sa lahat, uh, maraming salamat po sa mga viewers and I'm really happy na I've been given this platform to discuss yung migration issues in Middle East and how will it impact yung mga kababayan po natin at yung gobyerno natin and how in theory they should you know, react and respond lalo na sa mga um, pangailangan ng mga OFWs ngayon beat yung repatriation or yung mga short-term economic assistance na kailangan natin ngayon uh, para ma-address yung mga problema po nila. And uh, yes po, um, uh, anak po ako ng OFW rin. So yung, but my life story is a bit... Uh, I think it's it's a reflection of the, the narrative of global migration for many uh, Filipinos. Uh, my father, ko po, he well, we're from Pampanga, po, and he moved from Pampanga uh, to work uh, as a loader operator. Initially, he was a farmer, and he became a loader operator, po, and he worked mostly in Visayas and Mindanao region. And uh, he completed po mostly um, I think. First year high school, ball. <clears throat> but he, he worked very hard, you know, uh, to help his family, sustain uh, my needs, namin. but he was mostly not around. Uh, and uh, in mother, po, he, well, she, she migrated in 1989 to America, uh, mostly uh, San Francisco, uh, but we lost touch for uh, almost 15 years. So, like 9 million uh, children left behind in the Philippines. Uh, I was part of that. Uh, narrative and that part of statistic and um, and I think in upbringing uh, as a child I think I've uh, I learned to understood yung uh, effect ng migration lalas mga bata and but I had um, a very uh, good uh, childhood experience of growing up so for example uh, I, I grew up sa lola ko and uh, and like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. I depended a lot for Lola and I've learned a lot and she taught me a lot of uh, skills, mostly my survival skills that even up to this date, I, I still use no? to survive in my universities or even in my work in the Middle East. And it was a broken home, um, yet um, I learned to appreciate it. Uh, it's a collective uh, sacrifice that both of my parents that uh, really drive me, uh, even up to this day, uh, to address my issues. So I think the experience of Naputo, I think it really triggered me uh, to pursue migration again. Uh, it's a part of me, and it's something that I'd like to discuss even more. Um, Oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that part of your life to us. It made you who you really are right now. That's why you're so passionate about migration, yes. diba? Yes. Pero tell us, paano yung struggle mo? Nag-Ivy League ka nga, pero talaga bang mm. all bed of roses ba? Sabi mo kasi OFW si mami. It was very difficult for I think when I got accepted uh, uh, sa Cornell University, uh, my mother basically said, no, uh, we, we can't afford it. Uh, we can't sell you home. home uh, you have four other siblings and you have to think collectively. And I remember getting your acceptance letter on and I was crying not because I was you know, um, super happy. I was crying because uh, 
nasa kamay ko na yet um 50-15 chances na uh, papasok ako and uh but I still defied yung mga expectations I mean I went there and I asked in the financial department ng Cornell University to help me and uh, I didn't have money and uh, I had to take out a lot of loans uh, to survive just like many other Filipinos or Filipino Americans and uh, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to pursue for because for a number of years uh, roughly 10-11 years uh, I was picking a lot of flowers Lubao I think that childhood experience working from 2 a.m. until 6.30 a.m. Before we had to pick them and sell them to the market. So that 10, 11 years of training uh, really shaped my formative years, my intellectual years, or even yung, uh practical understanding of labor relations and migration. I think in my experiences that already um, helped me choose in career path over time. It, it wasn't obvious, no, no, una, but I think as I progressed and reflected upon these experiences, uh, it helped me decide yung uh, path yon. So it was a no-brainer to choose this area. Na to. Uh, the moment I started expanding and thinking about immigration and the moment I had the chance to read books and uh, specialize in the area. So I really chose this path because uh, it's not only part of my uh, uh, family history, po, but you drive good end uh, to contribute to policy making and uh, rights and development for mga kababayan po natin, less specifically for the Middle East. Yeah. Oh, okay. Napaka maalala mo kaya yan, dear Charo. <laughs> but how did you, bakit naman of all the um, specialization, why migration? I think childhood experience ko, I think that really that's a big part, no? Uh, but at the same time, if you look uh, more closely, uh, migration powers a lot of uh, uh, countries' economies uh, and families. Uh, it brings in family stability and uh, it enables people to. Uh, realizing full potential in life, you know, if given the opportunity to migrate. And I believe in that. No? I believe in part that people should be given the opportunity to migrate so they could maximize your God-given potential. And uh, I, I chose this path to go more specifically when I've seen a lot of uh, uh, legal vulnerabilities that a lot of OFWs face in the Middle East. And I think I, I looked at closely among different uh, legal cases, among deaths and murders, etc. Siguro yung mga cases natin, mga kababayan po natin and other nationalities, uh, it helped me zoom in talaga yung aspect of migration at saka yung link niya sa human rights, labor rights and development and the role of nation states in terms of protecting yung welfare ng mga uh, nationals natin. And even up to this point, actually, especially ngayon po in COVID-19, yung role of government um, is, is becoming more uh, more crucial uh, and more necessary ngayon kasi a lot of OFWs and migrant workers are put in a very precarious uh, situation you know, that need uh, major uh, attention. And siguro yung pagpipili ko talaga ng migration, human rights, labor rights development, I think it really, um, it, it came from my exposure to a lot of uh, rights-related issues and experiences that I'm actually growing up. So, and why Middle East? Uh, well, it's the biggest employer for 
for a lot of OFWs. So 2.3 million yung mga legal uh, OFWs. Kung ikakount mo rin yung mga uh, TNT po natin, those are actually still fighting no? uh, to work sa Middle East and send money uh, para sa mga pamilya nila for a better future. Uh, you could roughly say around 3 million or more yung mga makikita po natin mga OFWs dito. And there's a lot actually who are struggling and a lot who are uh, fighting for a chance. So I actually wanted to be part of that. And reading your work, um, academic publications, policy publications, or even your technical uh, consulting work that I've done, it really focused a lot on limiting your vulnerability, uh, more on identifying issues, raising rights discourses that are very, very uh, relevant ngayon, and even before that. Because um, the Kapala system in Adito is quite restrictive and it's very challenging for sending countries like the Philippines to assert in rights in us because the sovereignty issues that you see and the limitation of our uh, diplomats in terms of asserting in rights, you know, you can only go so much here. And so um, I think that's in part why it picks specifically the migration to Middle East and that's uh, so, how long have you been in the UAE? And, and oh, I, siguro, I've been here siguro, for almost uh, nearly 10 years. Uh, 10 years? Wow. Yes, um, initially I was in uh, Latin America. So I was in uh, I was specializing on comparative labor movements. So I was looking at the role of trade unions and migration in uh, Nicaragua, sa Mexico. And Costa Rica. So during the first year and second year of uh, Cornell University, uh, we were uh, encouraged to do a lot of internships abroad. And Sigur, there was that one moment where I asked myself, okay, bakit nandito ako sa Latin America, right? Um, I should have been working or pursuing things related to Philippine affairs. And I think I had just one moment on and I said, I think I need to rethink and re strategize. So, that's when I decided to move for the Middle East. And thank God for I met uh, yung mga, um, uh, very uh, important people po sa buhay ko that actually led me to do this. So for example, I want to thank si yung, si attorney uh, Froilan Bakungan. He's also Froilan, no? Uh, the yung former dean of UP Diliman Law School. So he introduced me po kay uh, Professor Rene Ofrenea ng School of Industrial and Labor Relations. Uh, they helped me get in touch with Ambassador Crescente Relacion, no? So I owe a big deal for uh, the former ambassador in Qatar. So he helped me, um, uh, you know, he hosted Yumpuin Research Poll. And initially I struggled a bit, uh, but he actually helped me a lot in terms of uh, understanding the issues and even uh, accessing the Filipino stakeholders for uh, studies. And I think I fell in love with the region a little bit more. Um, as I've stayed. And so from then on, I um, moved to UAE and then I had a chance to work at Ambassador Princess Relation in Abu Dhabi. So I worked at I, I interned at DFA uh, for more than two years. Ago. So I looked at uh, migration policy issues, especially uh, laws that, that make OFWs vulnerable, no? specifically Kasambahay po. And mula po doon, I work with a number of local and regional universities, the Tokyo Dynamics Dubai School of Government, you know, American University of Sharjah, and ran a lot of um, uh, lecture series 
sa Lebanon, sa Kuwait, um, and even sa sa UAE po. Um, for example, in sa American University Sharjah, tsaka yung Fayed University. So, so yung pag-move ko po sa region na to, I mean, yung 10 years na to, it, 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 pure hard work. Um, and I think I, I was challenged a bit kasi yung age ko. Um, and I think sa mga questions, so I've seen yung mga challenges that I'd face as an OSW. Um, siguro po, yung market is very racialized. No, I think you can clearly see yung how yung race mo affects yung uh, wages or yung even yung economic opportunities. No? So here you can clearly see yung mga Western expatriates and then locals and investing expatriates up to Europeans, uh, Asians, and even Asians, maybe you see in hierarchy, and then yung mga Filipinos, Indians, etc. So, yung citizenship mo uh, is directly tied to uh, the wage scale, need to submit the lease. And just to cut you, I'm sorry, yeah. Just to sure, cut yeah, you, yeah. yung ano, a lot of people here kasi think pag OFW mm -hmm. napaka isang ano lang yan. Right. Basta OFW, OFW, di ba? So ano yung mm -hmm. difference? Siyempre, iba yung OFW sa Middle East, iba mm -hmm. OFW mm -hmm. sa Europe, iba OFW mm -hmm. sa uh, sa US. Pero within the U Middle East, may iba-iba rin level. So yung na-encounter mo dyan sa yun sa UAE for example ano yung yun nga kuno mo yung iba-ibang iba-ibang spectrum dami income disparity ba yan or or more on yung exposure nila sa 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 risk ba so siguro po let me put it in, the, in in this context no the difference between yung gulf labor markets between european or american uh, or australian or canadian labor markets uh, Gulf market, but it's an open market. No, quotas, so people can actually come in and out. In the case America, we're very restrictive yung point space, right? So dito, uh, cap in terms of so 25% lang, including mga foreigners, say some sector, etc. But in mga European markets, in America, meron silang cap, right? So it's very restrictive at this point in time. Then for the Middle East, if you look closely. Since it's an open market, kaya madali siyang pasukan po ang mga OFWs natin, mga kababayan natin, at ibang nationalities. It's an open market, and if you look closely, you can clearly see yung income disparity linked sa citizenship ng isang tao. And, and you can see a lot of uh, discontent sa mga skilled OFWs, mga nurses, engineers, architects. The skilled sector, sector na to, you can clearly see yung, yung wage disparities. So even if you're doing the same work, Iba yung sahod nyo, kasi nga, yung HR pay scale, right, is very different. Um, so, human resource departments looked at yung, where you get, you, you receive yung degree mo, um, yung passport mo, and experiences mo, etc. And yung mga OFWs na matagal na dito, they, they really feel yung degree of discrimination na yun. I think yung part na they, they feel that discontent, no? And... And I think sorry, uh, ano yung, uh, sorry, ano, Froilan, discrimination <laughs> kanino? I think in terms of yung uh, wages nila, right? Discrimination in, in terms of how they get treated. Kasi nga, it depends on kung sinong nakaupo sa mga HR departments, right? So for example, if I'm Arab, right, I'm more likely to treat mga Arabs, you know, uh, differently. But if you look at yung mga, let me take the labor law nila. So sa mga labor laws nila, there's a degree of prioritization, right? So they prioritize yung mga locals. 
and then expats, and then Arabs, right? So even then, some mga pay scales, yung mga documents that are they're not published, but I've seen a few of these, you know, documents where yung mga HR manuals, mga departments, big companies or even small and medium companies, so they create ito mga pay scales at all. And in, in turn, over time, yung you know, cultural norms, the labor market, um, uh, has really shaped the way employers even structure among wages. I think it's a skilled sector, right? Oh. So some of Filipinos, uh, they attempt to study here some of um, Gulf-based foreign universities so they can equalize some opportunity. Or some of them would study the UK, the America, para pumalik sila dito and they could maximize the So they cope in different ways. But I think for the most part, they still prefer to work here. Um, uh, because it depends on the restrictiveness of the Western market. Eh. But many actually do stay and a few actually leave. But in the nursing sector, it's a bit different, no? So it's really a transient space for a lot of uh, Filipino nurses. Dito. So they trained here for a number of years and then they migrate to the West, the US, etc. cetera. Uh, partly because of you know, access to citizenship. Because they don't offer citizenship very restrictive, no? Either dito and mga locals, or you've done something exceptional the Gulf country, so you can actually get your citizenship. This is for the skilled market, no? So just to recap, Yon, it's a nurse thing. They're really bound to travel outside. It's a transit space while living in the Gulf. But so parang transit sector, lang yung Middle East for nurses. Yes. yes. And then the okay. skilled, the unskilled, sort of the low-skilled and medium-skilled, uh, it becomes even more competitive, no? Uh, say you have other countries from Southeast Asia, South, especially South Asia. So 90% of the population in the Gulf countries are actually from South Asia, um, among unskilled workers. So construction, hospitality, uh, manufacturing, uh, domestic work, and it, it, uh, no, it's uh, young pay scale it's uh, very, very different. Uh, so it's slightly lower. So um, uh, it's roughly 400. So Kasipodito, uh, two years ago, wala silang minimum wage laws, right, right? right? So a lot of sending countries like the Philippines, they have to establish mga legal norms at all on how to set mga minimum wages. Because we do have mature, developed labor law system, but actually they don't, right? Uh, iba yung, you know, uh, philosophy in the labor market. It's actually a uh, free market system. So they don't really do that because they really protect the private sector so they can produce more jobs, etc. So um, it's usually a big tension because the things are wage setting because it's an issue of uh, sovereignty and sending countries cannot really impose that. So it, it becomes very tough because the things are bilateral agreements. I think the Philippines uh, has done a lot of uh, aggressive you know, diplomatic uh, assertions uh, to protect And I think the good thing is spending countries like Ethiopia, Indonesia. So the Philippines to an extent is pioneering no? Yung wage settings in the Middle East. Uh, now, so in sectors, it's a bit different no? from the things that uh, the labor market uh, security, the works in security, uh, cleaners, manufacturing, Mga hospitality, so you can clearly see an intense competition between mga Arab nationals, Asians, when I say Asians, mga South Asians from India, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, and the construction it's mostly um, Indians and Pakistanis. 
Nepalese and Bangladeshis din po. So very much ano, it's yung naging ano, uh, real uh, diplomatic and legal issues for a lot of sending countries. Kasi yung kafala system, yung restrictive nature niya. Uh, when I say restrictive nature niya, meaning yung ability ng employer to control yung movement, right? Yung pag-change ng employer, uh, ng isang worker. Uh, I think that create, created a lot of issues from the things uh, rights, uh, yung human, but yung labor rights ng, ng mga kababayan po natin dito. So paano ito ngayon dahil dito sa pandemic, ano nang kalagayan ng mga OFWs natin dyan? So yung pong, so I think if you look at yung pre-COVID situation for Gulf countries, um, medyo challenging na yung situation now na, ng mga OFWs po. It's been a very difficult uh, uh, for them in terms of yung salaries, uh, yung working and living conditions. It, it's a tough market for Gulf countries. Now, with, with COVID, um, mas lalong nahihirapan talaga yung mga kababayan natin. Um, lalo na sa mga rights nila. So for example, if you look at yung mga labor uh, reforms over the past uh, a month and a half dito, you can clearly see a lot of Gulf countries are protecting first yung rights ng mga employers. So, so UAE, for example, uh, yung Ministry of Human Resource and Emiratization, it allowed employers to restructure yung contracts and even yung wage scales uh, ng mga workers, including all OFWs. So it means uh, employers can change in contracts from full-time to part-time. Yung salary mo, it is changed then kasi nga um, not all workers will be allowed to work inside the mga uh, premises ng company. Only 30% lang yung pwede. And so, sandali, um, this is for construction workers? No, this is actually for the entire country, so UAE. And they had to do that because uh, so they are legally allowed to to change contract. Yeah, so they revised the labor law in 1980 to fit the market reality. Ngayon. So you have to be because uh, COVID, nato, you have to make sure you are flexible, right? So the country more and you rights on employer and rights on worker. It's a very you know tough time for industry then. Kasi nga, you need to make because when no so that's across the board, Froyland. It's not just one, just one sector. It's just across the board. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. That's specific for UAE, but if you look at more broadly for Gulf countries, uh, yung nila is uh, once they pass from domestic containment measures, shut down lahat ng mga industries, right? Hospitality, etc. And then the shutdown shot, the first thing that the Gulf countries did is to inject uh, economic stimulus funds. That's $170.3 billion. But the stimulus package, it really focused on uh, local workers. So meaning Gulf countries will pay yung salaries of uh, local workers, mga Kuwaitis, Bahrainis, Saudis, so that they don't terminate the work. Or uh, these companies will also, sorry, yung mga economic stimulus funds at all, We'll pay my company just to make sure not stable, right? Yung number of local populations in Ladito. So yung tinatawag nilang localization, yung nationalization policies, they try to maintain John, no? Uh, both the public sector and private sector. So yung nangyari, yung focus ng Gulf countries is mostly sa mga industries in that and local, except sa Qatar. Kasi what Qatar did, um, they created a specific fund uh, for employers who are struggling to finance uh, yung mga settlement issues nila sa mga 
workers in that. So for example, marami kasing employers in Middle East, they, they're struggling to actually pay yung mga unpaid wages nila, pati yung mga gratuity, end of service, kasi nga they run out of cash flow. So yung Qatari government, what they did is they created a specific fund, zero interest rate, so employers can actually borrow money, no? And pay. Para at least yung mga workers, if they choose to repatriate themselves, uh, they have the option, kasi they have the money uh, to do that. So iba-iba yung naging responses, no? So you, there are cases where uh, Gulf countries have decided to finance the mga tickets ng mga um, migrant workers, specifically uh-huh. yung mga walang papel, no? I'll, I'll give you very quick examples. Kuwait, di ba? Kuwait. That's oh, exactly yeah. what Kuwaiti did, uh-huh. right? So yung, <clears throat> yung focus lies mostly yung mga undocumented workers kasi yung COVID, it created a lot of public health risks, right? And normally, yung public health risk nito, it's, much, it's very um, strong sa mga uh, hidden population, no? yung mga undocumented workers. So yung fear nila, uh, kung marami mga undocumented workers sa mga high-risk migrant industrial camps or accommodation spaces, yung propensity ng virus to spread, it's much faster, no? So yung ginawa nila, okay. But that's let's also parang discrimination. Yes, I, think it's, I think it's a double-edged sword. You can look at it that way. So, kanila, it's a protection measure. Um, so Just like here, we're just telling that there's a COVID Chinese. Oh, absolutely. I think, I, I think yung, yung, yung argument, yung flip argument, nila. so the Gulf side, yung argument nila would be, let's reduce yung population because a high migration share of you know, migrants uh, produce you know, high risk sa kanila public health risks, security risks, etc. So, yung flip side ng argument na yun, um, sa side natin, yung discrimination na, as you mentioned, plus yung social protection, kasi meron ding argument na, well, these people had spent decades building yung Gulf countries. They produced yung soft and hard infrastructure, right? Yung mga buildings, mga tunnels, etc., etc. And all of a sudden, pinaalis mo sila, right? without ensuring yung proper uh, social protection sa kanila, or without even ensuring na nag-testing sila. So in the Gulf countries, UAE lang yung country na nagbibigay ng on-site, pre-departure COVID testing, right? Kasi that's a big part. Um, not all Gulf countries actually do that. So, so you can clearly see ano, yung duality ng approach ng Gulf countries. So yung goal nila is protecting markets, protecting locals, and it shifts in responsibilities among standing countries. So this becomes a very, very difficult uh, challenge for the government because for a long time, we benefited from uh, remittances, 35 billion last year among OFWs. Now, all of a sudden, we so are... What's, the, what's our data on remittances for Middle East? Right, but let me, let me finish in point. We are oh, responsible okay. to repatriate them, right? And now, the government has to balance yung population natin. So we have 100 million sa Pilipinas plus yung 10 plus million uh, OFWs and dual citizens sa labas ng uh, Pilipinas. So it's a big uh, challenge, no? And sabi ko nga, it's mga past shows because the right corridor. I mean, who is prepared, right? And I think na-checkmate tayo kasi if you look at crisis that we survived, right? Sa Libya noong 2014, sa Iraq noong 2003, uh, Lebanon 1990s, the Kuwait no 93-94. I mean, th- those crises occurred within national or regional context. It, they didn't occur on a global context, right? Where we have to deal with the local population. Then, plus, yung dito, kaya 
yung rhetoric ng bansa natin, ng gobyerno natin as a protector, a leading protector among sending states, um, it's a big role, it's a big status and image, no? Um, and a big challenge uh, sa gobyerno natin. And I'm not sure if we could sustain that given yung uh, low fiscal budget natin ngayon. Uh, well, do you have any idea? Sino yung mga pwedeng uuwi na ba? Uuwi na ba yung mga OFWs natin from the Middle East? So if you look at yung current approaches ng ating mga diplomatic missions, no? specifically yung uh, embassies and consulates, so they do prioritize ngayon yung mga most vulnerable. So dito po sa Dubai, sa, um, sa consul, consulate general po natin dito sa Dubai, the uh, consul general uh, Paul Cortez, uh, yung function po nila, they focus more on yung mga most vulnerable ones. For example, yung mga buntis, uh, na OFWs, mga senior citizens, yung mga may, uh, may mga anak o yung mga OFWs with uh, pre-existing health conditions. So they prioritize yung mga ganun cases o yung mga walang papel. And there's actually a specific fund uh, sa TSA, no? Because uh, it's pandemic and part to nang uh, mandate nila, yung one of the pillars of foreign policy. So yung ginagawa ngayon po is pinaprioritize yung uh, population nato and sila yung nauuna ngayon. So, for example, sa UAE, noong nilabas yung repatriation uh, uh, proposal ng UAE government, so yung idea is all FWs would go to their consulates and embassies and they would register, right? Um, and demand repatriation. Yun yung ginawa ng UAE. Like a, sorry, can, can, can I just right. get back? Um, sure. Back, backtrack a little. Yung, you were saying that UAE, may plan na ngayon to repatriate uh, expats. Oh, Tama it's ba? been there. Uh, it's been there for um, a few weeks na. So, they gave you... Yung mga expats to na nawala ng trabaho. Yes, all expats, right? So, dalawa okay. yung repatriation methods na ginagamit nila. Una, sa mga... Um, sa mga stranded na tourist visa, visas, right? So, kapag na... Kapag naabudan ka ng COVID from March 1, right? March 1 onwards let's say, dumating ka dito ng March 3, at nandito ka, at nag-lockdown, close yung mga airplanes, yung mga flights, for example, you can actually stay hanggang December, right? Eh, ang daming mga uh, kababayan po nating mga visa visa. So, that's actually a good thing. So, they could stay and look for work. But the problem is, medyo disrupted ng talaga yung work. I mean, there's really no work. Kaya, no very challenging, work. very competitive then, right? So yun yung right. unang option nila. So they can actually stay here, right? So yun yung unang uh, incentive uh, for those actually who've been caught sa COVID na to. Now, yung mga legal, mga legal uh, OFWs, uh, if they want to take yung annual leave nila in advance, unpaid annual leave, they can actually go home. At hindi naman yung detected sa ano nila, um, sa sahod nila. It's basically... Basically, the goal niya is to reduce the population, right? Because uh, if you, I think the important thing is uh, low population share uh, could create, you know, low potential risk. So that's the logic nila. Uh, so ginawa recently, I think two days ago, the uh, ginawa ng UAE is the uh, mga uh, OFWs or other migrant workers na undocumented na before March one, they can actually avail yung partial amnesty within the next three months so they can go home without paying any fines as long as they exit the country, you see? So, 
yung approach ng UAE and approach ng Kuwait are quite similar then, no? Yung public, they're looking at yung COVID from a public health uh, risk perspective. So, kaya ginamadali nila yung repatriation. And they give incentives sa mga undocumented yung mga TNT para mag-report sila at mailabas na rin ng bansa. So, that's what they're trying to do. And so there's a lot of right issues done. My dear. Huh? Who's paying for the repatriation ng mga undocumented? So it depends. So sa case, sa case ng Kuwait, the government um, uh, paid the to take it from right? Yeah. The Emir, right? Part yeah. of the humanitarian initiative. Sa UAE naman, in theory, yung employer, yung dapat ah, mabayad, right? right? In theory. And that's actually a big challenge, lalo na sa mga uh, offices po natin. So I know you see yung ating labor attache, si... Uh, I mean, she works pretty hard. <laughs> <Day and night. laughs> and it's a big challenge. Because they're undocumented. You know, how can you, how can you so, ask the employer to take responsibility? No, undocumented. undocumented. I think it, that becomes an ATN case. No? So, DFA na yon. And it's not DOLE. So, iba yung function nila. So, in this case, sa sa case po ni ng ating labor attaché dito yung focus niya si Labad Pai uh, yung to mediate to actually help workers uh, obtain yung mga settlement nila para makuha nila yung mga payment para at least end of service para at least makabili sila ng ticket now kapag undocumented sila yung mga kasambahay po uh, at the ATN case and depending sa case kasi they also prioritize they look at yung cases kung uh, covered ba na, pwede ba nilang makover yung ticket ng isang uh, OFW o hindi. So, hindi lahat magbibigyan ng free ticket. It depends then um, sa kaso nila. So, <coughs> yung, I think yung nakikita natin dito is yung, yung approach kayo ng Gulf countries to reduce yung population, pushing them out. Kaya lumalabas yung mga rights issues ngayon and it becomes a big, yun know, yun, uh, challenge for the Philippine government kasi nga, Anong pag, let's see, na-repatriate mga OFWs at all, what happens sa kanila? It's It's not like before where OFWs can go to other countries like Kuwait, uh, Bahrain, Singapore. Ngayon hindi kasi close lahat yung market. And I do remember yung discussion sa Senate where uh, Senator Poe was basically asking whether they could accommodate, you know, 400 OFWs. I mean, OFWs po dito sa Middle East, they are upset. Upset, absolutely upset. Not just here, but also other parts of the world, no? Kasi po yung mga OFWs, yung sense ko, sa mga interactions ko, it's okay kung hindi mo sila tulungan eh. Yes, there's a constitutional responsibility. But, klaruhin lang sa kanila. They need clarity eh. They need facts. Like, what you can do and cannot do. Pero when you get there, you mix signals from the central government, it, and then your expectations nila sa ating mga diplomatic missions, it creates a lot of tension, no? confusion. Lalo na, for example, yung mga uh, economic relief programs that you've been seeing. Imagine nyo po yun, 150,000, right? For land and sea base. I mean, how many OFWs here in the Middle East? 2.3. I mean, they're bound. They're bound to get mad uh, sa ganitong klaseng setup. And given yung severity ng COVID, a lot of, you know, and trying no work, no pay, a lot of OFWs don't have yung funds na yun. Actually, focus na yun is yung rent, not even yung food. And I told one of my colleagues, yung <coughs> difficult people ng mga OFW, hindi yung magugutom or makikit out sa mga apartments eh. Yung naging issue nila is yung 
kapag tumatawag yung family member nila and they right. have, yung pain na they nila. feel powerless <laughs> they feel yun yung part eh. that's that's the hardest part of being an OFWA and then yung iba meron ding mga loans right kasi nga they all came here with big dreams you know and this is right. a chance kasi nga very accessible yung mga loans lalo sa mga semi skilled and skilled so they able to you know borrow a lot of money kasi nga they have dreams for their families dreams for themselves they want to achieve yung social economic mobility right yeah they're caught with this covid-19 and remember po sa gulf countries like you cannot leave or exit the region unless you pay yung debt mo so this actually is a big challenge no sa ating mga diplomatic missions in terms of repatriating them kasi you cannot repatriate unless you settle yung mga legal cases na ganito so paano pag may utang gumakalabas no not unless if a pardon ka so <clears throat> to answer your question you have to look back yung historical context no ng gulf countries so let's look at in 2008 in financial crisis So most Gulf countries, they pardon yung mga debt, right? But yun din yung time na hindi bagsak gaano yung price of oil, right? right? So they still have some you know, strong sovereign wealth funds. Pero ngayon, it's very different, right? It's a different era. Um, they've been hit severely. Uh, loading yung mga funds nila, sovereign wealth funds nila. OSWs and other nationalities, they have a huge debt. So it's very, very difficult. Um, so... I don't know exactly for how long can they sustain it because uh, at the moment, yung cases here are growing, right? Five, seven hundred on average. And in some cases, a thousand. <laughs> Now, yung, yung challenge feature is for Gulf countries, how do you actually protect, right? Your local and foreign population at the same time? Because uh, public and private hospitals are overburdened. The government is paying for that. The public hospital, not in private hospital. Cases are going up, mag-expand mga facilities. At some point, Gulf countries would say enough is enough, right? Like, we can't bear yung cost, right, of protecting everyone. Kasi nga, down yung market, shut down ngayon, for example, sa Kuwait. Medyo partially open yung Dubai, shut down yung din sa Saudi. So, at some point, Gulf countries would say enough is enough, right? But at the same time, are we prepared, right, as a sending country like the Philippines? And it looks like we're not, because even the Senate, right, and a lot of uh, government agencies that in the Philippines, they also don't know what to do. They're struggling because uh, you have a hundred million population to deal with. So, it's, it's a very complicated calculus that I think that you know people you know need to realize. But at the same time, no, malaki yung expectations because political statements, no, they kept saying this. Yet in the implementation, nawawala. <coughs> they hate it. No, I mean, imagine yung Parang example. Parang ngayon, nahanap na nila yung pinapangakong protection for them. You know, right. Yeah. I think what what all WHO are saying here is like, if you want to call us modern day heroes, I mean, live up to that. But at the same time, I understand yung position ng government then, kasi nga, they've been caught by this, right? Mga pero ano siguro, kaya? Mga ilang, ilang, ilang thousands ang expected na uuwi? Ganun ba yun? Uuwi dito? I think yung, 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 yung unemployment, I think, na pinroject ng government, I think it's around 2.3 million yata. Um, but yung unemployment, there's a lot ngayon. Right? Lalo yung mga partially, uh, yung mga partially, ano ngayon, unemployed din. Um, marami na ngayon sa Middle East. And I think that's a big uh, risk for Gulf countries. And also big challenge uh, could be another. 
um, how do you patriate these kind of thing out in one's day i think it's very low and how do you prioritize but actually let me tell you the difference because you have to look at relative there you know, the philippines relative to other countries so the case of philippines uh so uaE less than a thousand lang you the request for repatriation remember oh, there are kasi wala naman silang OEN. <laughs> exactly eight hundred thousand right compared to the Pakistanis and Indians. Right, so you have to look at relative terms. Siguro in the short run, lalaban talaga yung mga OFWs. Laban talaga, oh. Laban talaga. They've fought and they've survived many crises in the past. I mean, ngayon, anong gagawin natin sa Pilipinas? I think a lot of OFWs are saying, we'd rather stay here kasi nga, if we get COVID, for example, we're likely to get better treatment here than sa Pilipinas. At merong part-time dito, right? We could still survive somehow and actually send money. Pero... In the Philippines, it's a lot more difficult. It's a lot more challenging. So they'd rather stay here. And a lot of them, if they go home, I mean, I don't think they're in front of their families not unemployed and nothing to give. I mean, remember, you have yeah. you know, kids to send to school, mga right. hospital bills to settle, etc. And you know, mga utang pa, especially the OFWs that are they paid a lot of money to even come here. At nawalan sila ng work all of a sudden. And now right. they're being forced to pay back yung mga recruitment placement fees, for example, right? So how can the government actually address yung mga issues na to? I mean, at the moment, yung kinafocus talaga is yung uh, repatriation ng mga most vulnerable ones. Kaya yung Senate sa ating po, and even yung PhilHealth, <laughs> for example, <laughs> I mean, a lot of OFWs are very much offended. No? They appreciate yung value ng universal healthcare system. They do. It's bad timing. But they really felt na yung feel health na talaga yung policy na yun, it was really a gun point. Uh-huh. It's really not acceptable I mean, according to mga OFWs. And imagine niyo po ngayon, ang dami yung mga distress, uh, suicidal. I, I know two people who tried to commit suicide yung isa na matay na kilala ko po. And uh-huh. yung degree of ano, uh, mental distress. And getting mental, uh, a lot of OFW's mental health conditions um, have been deteriorating because of it. Um, so your question now is, ano ba yung contingency plan, right, for the government? Do you want to repatriate them? That's exactly what they're doing now, but not en masse, kasi nga, close pa yung mga flights atin, you can see, right? Our, our government right. is also resisting, right? Kaya Gulf countries are also questioning, right, yung constitutional responsibility ng gobyerno natin. For a long time, we've been saying that all oh, we protect, you know, Gulf countries should protect, Gulf countries should protect. But all of a sudden, ngayon, right, we're stepping back and we're saying, oh, maybe we need a little bit more time. And it's the same thing that happened in India, actually. India, except in Pakistan, actually, Pakistan was very, or has been very proactive in terms of repatriating mga nationals nila. But their workers paid, right? Some of them. <coughs> but for then, of course, uh, we're being questioned, right? You've been, you know, framing yourself as this and that. But now, all of W's are saying, in protection namin, right? Uh-huh. So it's a really big challenge. I mean, even for senior officials who are here, for example, for the relief program, a lot of OFWs are waiting for that. So for example, thousands and thousands of apply dito, limited lang yung slots, yet they're still waiting, no? Yeah, it's a big challenge sa uh, office kagaya ng Polo Dubai to even accommodate lahat kasi they have to prioritize po yung list. And yet, they're also waiting sa funding mula sa dole. 
So a lot of Filipinos are basically saying, "Ongoing pa ba yung dole amelioration fund?" Um, I think it's parang ongoing pa po yata. I mean, mm. I think yung expectations ng mga OFWs is ongoing pa, and it has to go on kasi nga po mm. they need it. And a lot of OFWs that's two hundred dollars, di ba? So right, how long will it? You cannot last? even survive sa isang sa two hundred dollars na yon. Yung okay. bed space. I mean, that, that's practically yung cost nun eh. O paano pa yung food? Paano pa yung padala? I mean, yung mga OFWs, they really want to focus na yun sa bahay. Yung focus na yun sa bahay, right? And some padala. And it's very difficult ngayon, lalo yung mga, may mga anak sa Pilipinas. Again, as I said, yung, the most difficult part dito is not yung paalising ka sa bahay or di ka ko na kumain ng three times a day. It's yung pagtumawag sila and there's nothing you can do about it kasi ikaw yung breadwinner eh. Right, and I hope the Senado they will realize you know. Um, siguro I, I do agree sa kanila na yes, it's very difficult na pauwin po yung mga OFWs. I think let's continue and expand din po yung uh, degree of uh, prioritization na ginagawa ng diplomatic missions natin. And dami po sa Kuwait, for example, na nanganak na dito, right? Na nanganak na, kasi close pa yung mga flights natin. Yeah. Nanganak na dito. Yung iba mga senior citizens po na gustong umuwi, yet limited lang yung proportion ng mga OFWs na pwedeng umuwi. Imagine ninyo po, 700,000 kami deal, 7,000, 800,000. 1,000 lang yung nag-attempt nag na mag-avail ng repatriate. Right? Like 99.99%. They actually want to stay here and fight. And I think that's, that's good sa Philippines kasi nga it's less pressure at the moment, right? So accommodate sila. O paano pa? It's 50%. Of OFWs. My right? God, ma, one million ba yan? <laughs> well, exactly. So where would you get your funds? Right? Where would you get these kind of funds? Right? If you think about your 50% among OFWs in the Middle East, right? Can you repatriate, let's say, uh, 1.5 million OFWs? Right? Is, is that your data? Ganyan kadami yung... No, no, no. Yung 2.3, yung legal na naka-recorded. But if okay. you add yung mga documented, let's say 3 million. So 1.5 million. That's for I mean, the entire MENA region. Gulf, Gulf region. Gulf region. Gulf region, right? Okay. It's not yung Lebanon, yung ibang areas don, right? It could be more, right? Now it, it's a big issue sa atin kasi nga the moment na oh we see that yung unemployment sa atin will go up, right? Uh-huh. Unemployment issues of young social welfare. And it could also impact your access to mga bata sa schooling, sa public, public school, private schools, yung consumption, etc. Kasi nga, wala nang padala. I mean, OFWs, they power our economy. Kaya yung galit ng mga OFWs po dito na, we sent $35 billion and all of a sudden you're imposing a mandatory sales health. Sa kanila, <laughs> have we not done grabe enough? Na, grabe talaga yung saksak sa right. ano yung health. No, I think, uh-huh. I think, nag-usap po kami kahapon with, you know, the, the Dr. Shirley, si, si Director Chona. I think we've seen yung logic naman eh. Napakaganda ng universal health care system. And I agree right. kay Dr. Domingo, let's not give up, right, sa universal health care system. Siguro yung packaging at explanation lang. I think that was really, you know, uh, a difficult, difficult one. And even after nung session na yun, uh, a lot of Filipinos, lalo na yung mga nagsafollow po sa right corridor, They're still trying to figure out yung mga key questions. Ano ba yung logic ng pagtaas ng field health from 3%, 4%, 5%? And they're even asking me questions, bakit nga ba 3%? Right? Or uh, kapag ba meron akong magulang na, let's say, 
hindi siya senior citizen, like 50 years old, covered ba siya ng PhilHealth dito, right? Or <coughs> ano ba yung benefits niya? Magkano yung uh, reimbursement na pwede kong gawin, let's say, mag-avail ako, right? I mean, basic questions na, na ganito, kasi naghahanap sila ng manual eh. Nasaan ba yung manual? Give us yung manual, right? Hindi lang yung bigyan nyo kami ng, for example, yung, uh, yung implementing guidelines or yung recent um, note, circular note na pinadala ng, uh, ng ating gobyerno. They felt it, it was like a gun so Ano yun eh? Yun yung IRR, di ba? Implementing Rules yes. and Regulation. So, yes, I think actually, bad timing talaga. It's bad timing. Bad timing. But yeah. that but was think... already being discussed last year pa. It's <laughs> right. bigla lang, bigla lang, bigla lang bumulaga ulit, di ba? Yes, I, I think I think yung issues of representation also came up, no? Kasi nga, right. you have domestic Philippine-based na OFW representatives plus yung mga OFW communities dito. There's a huge disconnect, no? And a lot of Filipinos here, they felt na walang gaanong consultation. We were not properly informed. Kaya nandun din dumalabas yung responsibilities ng OFW uh, you know, to vote wisely and to engage sa mga legal uh, policies na lumalabas sa ating bansa. But at the same time, it's very difficult to impose yung mga ganitong klaseng bagay kapag gutom yung tao. I mean, it's very tough. I mean, Filipinos are very giving, right? Kasi nga, if you look at yung solidarity component ng Universal Healthcare Act, if you contribute, right, you're also indirectly helping yung mga vulnerable groups sa atin, mga senior citizens, yung mga walang work, yung mga indigent, yung mga disabled. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure if you pass, if you implemented this at a time of economic prosperity, all of us would say, oh, that's not bad, right? right. That's not kasi may mga benefits naman. So, Dr. Yeah, Shirley, pagdating naman nila dito, makikinabang sila. <laughs> right, so... OFWs, according to mga data ng PhilHealth, they actually um, they claim more rather than contributed last year. So I think 1.7 yung na-claim nila, yung uh, 1.07 yata yung contribution nila. So clearly, you could see na may potential siya to help yung mga migrants, OFWs na may dependence sa Pilipinas, hindi lang po na properly communicate. Kaya nga po yung gagawin namin sa Rights Corridor, we'll continue yung discussion na yun. And we need yung manual na yun. Kasi we just need yung facts na yun. Eh. And I think that would really help a lot of you. Know, Pero given, ano na siya eh, medyo, di ba, na, na, na postpone na ng implementation ni Presidente. So no, right now, no, 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 no. I would, I would correct you doon. So yung I Vice bet. President mismo, no? Yung Vice President na si Dr. Domingo said, Malacanang has not sent an order to PhilHealth to what? stop yung implement. Yes. Yes. That was a big shocker sa akin. And so, I so see just Ricky a press Laksa. release, ganon? Yes, I mean, Ricky Laksa, even Baka published na, yung... Baka na, na-delay lang yung, ano, yung order. No, they have not. They have not. <laughs> and I think Ricky Laksa, yung JMA uh, news reporter po natin, and um, hello, Ricky. Hi, Ricky. Uh, sa Kuwait. He, he wrote an article. It, it came from Dr. Domingo. And yun yung big misconception kasi yung expectations po ng mga OFWs is nag-stop na. Mama, di ba sabi wrong. wala na? Wala no, muna? Wala muna? No. According kay Dr. Domingo, yung Vice President ng Corporate Affairs ng PhilHealth, in effect, yung policy na yan. Oh, okay. So that's another yes. issue siguro naman pag-usapan natin because it's 9 o'clock in here in Manila and I'm sure well, you're... Of course, no. I, I, <laughs> but I ano, was... just, just for the last, ano, last uh, question that I've been asking uh, you last week, mm-hmm. di ba? 
sino-sino yung mga sectors among OFWs ang winners and losers? Mm-hmm. And what what ano, ano yung dapat expect ng mga ng mga families dito from their mm-hmm. ano from their OFW families mm-hmm. there in the Middle East? I mean, if you look at yung long-term nito, no, it's going to be a tough one. And it's very difficult to predict kasi depending on the availability ng vaccines, right? And yung investors' confidence and even yung capacity ng private sector to recover, right? Sa mga Gulf countries. Remember, the Gulf is actually the biggest employer for OFWs. So if you look at yung historical context ng UAE or Gulf countries and Philippines, yung corridor na to, um, they bounce back right away. Right, mapa nung 60s, 70s, tapos yung 2008, and I could also say the same thing, right? In region, that's why it's a very ambitious region, right? They really want to take advantage yung with yung ano yung economic hub, yung position niya. It 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 lies between the east and the west, no? It's yung advantage niya, and and yung if you look at yung mga economic plans nila 2030. They're really committed to on, and they're investing a lot. I mean, you can clearly see mga mega infrastructure projects nila, and even yung mga initiatives nila kagaya ng World Cup, for example, in Dubai Expo. There's so many of these, right? And they've struggled, and um, they struggled to finance yung mga projects in 2008. Yeah, they were able to come back, no? Yeah. And I can predict the same thing. I mean, <coughs> they they do have strong sovereign wealth fund uh, in mga countries nito. And if you look at mga estimates and mga studies dito, they could survive for another hundred years, right? Even without producing oil. That was that was an estimate like three years ago. Now maybe not so much in a hundred years, maybe fifty or sixty years. Because it changed the geopolitics of the region. Now to answer your question, yo, <coughs> what can we expect, right? So the winners, siguro yung some. Sa medical sector, specifically okay. mga nurses natin, right? Nurses? So, marami ba tayong mga Filipino nurses dyan sa region? Yes, marami po tayo dito. Uh-huh. So, dalawang klaseng nurses dito, yung mga nag-work sa quarantine, mga public hospital versus yung mga nag-work sa mga clinics, right? So, yung opportunities na nag-work, uh, hello, Paolo uh, and Mitch, yung mga nurses na kakilala ko po uh, sa Dubai. Um, may mga hello, offers po. sila. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they... Maganda yung offer sa mga quarantine spaces if you want to work there, but it's also very risky. So I've been posting a lot of OFW nurses na namamatay. So mataas yung salary, for example, kung may experience ka dito at may license ka, you're looking at mga $4,000 or $5,000, right? Plus, plus. Or kung wala ka namang license dito but you have yeah, nursing experience, pero license sa Pilipinas, mga $2,000-something, uh, mga $2,500. So, yung, yung demand sa kanila is very hard on, right? Pero yung problema, nag-close din yung maraming clinics, right? So, as a result, yung mga small clinics, small and medium-sized clinics na ganito, um, lahat ng mga nurses, they're either pupunta sa ibang market or sa mga quarantine spaces. Kaya, napupwersa rin yung iba na mag-work din. Uh, kasi nga, magandang incentive. It's a good opportunity, yet very risky din. So, they're struggling to balance din yun. Uh, so, yung market on, it's gonna go up. Especially in the future, if you look at yung sa mga Western countries, they're now and beyond um, slightly opening yung mga markets nila and reducing yung mga barriers for Filipinos to come in, especially in South America. So it's going to be a big and interesting uh, dynamic in the future. Uh, and how can Gulf countries incentivize no yung mga nurses or medical professionals? Because they have to compete with Western countries. Para ma-contain, right? Yung proportion of mga nurses and doctors that they need here. 
um, <coughs> in the future. Now, sa mga ibang sectors, sa kasambahay, yes, tuloy pa po kasi families depend um, heavily sa mga kasambahay dito. So if you look at infertility rate sa Gulf countries, mataas. I think um, three children no, per family yon. And yung most Gulf countries, they rely sa mga Filipino domestic workers, sa mga ibang nationalities, pero mas preferred po sa mga uh, Filipino workers. So if you look at yung Gulf okay, employers... trabaho yung mga employers? Yes, because relative to GDP per capita, nila, yung wage scale is very low, mura lang, right? $400, the perspective of employers, right? It's very, very like, low cost sa kanila. So yung demand sa kanila, it's, it's still there. Pero very risky din kasi nga, they're quite cautious na yun, mga employer. Pero wala silang magawa kasi nga, they've always been dependent sa mga kasambahay po. And if you look at yung... You have yung expatriate employers, mga Westerners, and some Filipino families, and yung mga Gulf employers, they still depend sa mga kasambahay. So constant, so kasi yung fertility rate still high, and then yung sa nursing sector is still good. Tapos yung mga ibang kasambahay naman, they ended up working sa mga cleaning companies, specifically yung sa mga uh, ginawang uh, quarantine areas. Right? So let's just shift, right? Yung mga job options for Filipinos. And yung iba, they're more likely going to take it kasi nga po, you have to survive. I mean, you have to fight harder. Siguro yung magiging challenge just sa mga skilled kasi yung mga multinational companies, yung iba nag-shut down na, like umalis na, nag-layoff na ng mga workers. So you, you can clearly see um, in issues of de-skilling, no? They're more likely to take uh, jobs na, na less yung qualification, less yung sahal, but they just need to survive in the short run. And then for the majority po, yung mga nag-work sa mga construction, sa mga hospitality, uh, marami na rin yung mga unemployment problems but I can assure you that a lot of them even without savings no, they will continue to ano, fight harder kasi nga yung choices sa Pilipinas is much Dari worse trabaho. right trabaho kasi, uh, I'm not gonna look at yung pamilya ko nang wala rin trabaho walang mangyayari sa amin right? but here at least they can maneuver yung informal and yung formal market kaya yung informal market ngayon yung mga nagbebente ng pagkain yung mga nagpa-part-time sa mga ibang area, yun yung giging, before that was optional eh. Ngayon, it's basically like a primary source of income. Kasi nga, na-layoff na sila sa mga trabaho nila. And they need ways to survive. And I, I hope in Senate, they really understand yung survival and struggles sa mga OFW before they say these things sa kanila. Kasi what Filipinos are saying, we're not being morally supported there. It's okay if you don't help us. Just, just sabihin nyo lang sa amin. Right? Just clear lang. <laughs> sa kanila nung others do need a lot of support talaga they do but sa kanila yung para bang <coughs> klaruhin niyo na lang kasi lalo na po yung mga yung mga nag-work sa mga uh, secondary market um, yung mga low income na mga kababayan natin struggle talaga i mean a lot of them would say um kailangan namin yung akap yung short term economic relief but at the same time, yung mga polo Dubai po natin, they're struggling kasi nga, konti lang yung budget and they have to really prioritize kasi they have to wait sa central government. So yung expectation sa central office, ang taas, right? So high, right. At dito, medyo late yung implementation kasi nga po yung budget nawawala pa. So they expect a lot. Kaya you could clearly see yung mga tensions that, you, that you've seen recently, for example, dito, sa OWA natin dito sa Dubai. I mean, Partly because of that po. I mean, they're bound to face all these conflicts. Kasi it's like throwing a bone, right? 150,000. 
yet you have <coughs> millions of OFWs, it's going to create chaos. And at the same time, it's a big challenge sa gobyerno natin. How can you actually balance it all? They're not prepared. Pero at the same time, they also have to realize din na, um, you, you know, in rhetoric na modern day heroes, how do you actually uphold yung mga statements sa ganyan at a time of... Actually, uh, more than the... More than that, ano, that image of being modern-day heroes. Mm-hmm. Ang importante is, paano makaka-survive, di ba? It's more mm-hmm. about survive, mm-hmm. survival ngayon ng ano, eh, mga... OFWs. OFWs <coughs> Especially may mga family dito. People, you have this rising middle class OFW families dito. Right? Mga may engineers, nurses, etc. They built families here. First generation, second generation ng mga anak. And now they have to go home, yung iba. I think yung lalaban talaga is mga single migrants, eh, right? Lalaban talaga sila. But those with families, the, the cost is much higher, right? So yung OFW na family migrants, most Lama likely may iwan, isa, dalawa, right? They have to go home. Uh-huh. And remember, they've been studying here sa mga international schools, etc. Uh-huh. And alam mo, yung, yung Senate and Congress, they need to realize in different kinds, typologies of OFWs. Yung mga single, sa mga may family, yung mga legal, sa legal, yung mga klase ng work, yung, yung may dependent sa Philippines, yung walang dependent. Like, kaya yung nilabas yung PhilHealth talaga, OFWs were upset kasi nga, it did not take into account yung context, right? In different types of OFWs. Kaya if you ask me ngayon, who's likely to go home first? Well, of course, you may mga OFW families. Tama. Yung mga may savings. I'm saying yung mga may savings, right? Kasi it's a question more you ask me about yung financial behavior and the like consumption. Well, let me tell you this. I mean, some of the officials are saying before na Filipinos are loved dito, not because they just work hard, etc., etc., but yung consumption natin, pataas, right? Yeah. Filipinos spend. Consumers. You want to live decently, <laughs> properly, yes. Pero ngayon, <laughs> pagsaki yung consumption. Kasi nga, survival mode. Most all the these. So instead na kumain ka sa, let's say, Jollibee or sa McDonald's, magluluto ka na lang sa bahay. And you have to think twice when you spend na yun. And I know yung mga, um, there are different groups. So what you're saying is I, those who have uh, emergency fund, those who have savings can stay. They can flow. But the question is for how long can you flow? How, right? how long? Kasi nga, they also have debt to consider. Lalo yung mga 5-6. Uh, madami pong may mga 5-6 dito. They have to take that into account. Tapos yung mga, mga utang sa mga loans, they have to also factor that in. I know yung mga government and non-government organizations here, so yung Polo Dubai, um, they've been holding a lot, and even yung uh, consulate natin, they, and even sa Abu Dhabi, no? yung uh, Pinoy Wise, so and yung Ateneo, yung financial literacy program nila, they've been trying to educate no? yung mga OFWs, yung mga uh, crisis regulator, yung mga saving strategies, entrepreneurial strategies, etc., etc. But <clears throat> it's hard to do all of that ngayon kasi nga, there's really no money at the moment. So there's no point of yun, upholding yung mga financial literacy ngayon. But I think in the long right. run, these things need to be enough, uh, emphasized a bit more. So in times of crisis, OFWs will be able to strategize yung uh, behavior nila and even yung mga plans nila and in the past, I mean, siguro not just OFWs but also other nationalities, they, I mean, they really assume that life goes on, right? right. And it's going to be okay. But ngayon, it's a, it's a different scenario. And 
you have to think twice. I mean, I also took loans, right? For example, right? And buti lang, I mean, I was able to pay them off. Like before the pandemic, years, yes, before the pandemic, because I knew you risk, Good. right? But you know, others, I mean, it it, it could be a, a you know, it's gonna be a big challenge for Kanila, and a lot of them would be are struggling to sleep at night, no? Are struggling to even uh, eat properly or even engage with mga kaibigan nila, kasi nga yung mga banks they're calling them all the time. Yet yung consulate natin or embassy, they have no role to play, kasi nga that's a private matter, no? <coughs> Yung mga loans na yon, they can only offer legal advice, legal assistance, but in terms of settling mga disputes na yon, it's very difficult kasi walang fund doon, kasi yung mga funds are specifically for vulnerable uh, OFWs. Kaya it's a big challenge talaga, kaya if you anchor yung last part nito, yung repatriation niya, yung mga vulnerable ones, right? Plus yung mga OFWs who, you know, would voluntarily return home, voluntarily. And remember, a thousand lang yon, a thousand sa... 800,000 na Pilipinos sa UAE lang yon. You can clearly see they want to fight. They want to, you know, they want to stay uh, sa Gulf countries and even try to survive sa informal market. Um, at, at least in Dubai, for example, in the, it's partially open, nag-work na po yung iba. But for how long? Kasi Ramadan ngayon, right? So, anong mangyayari after Ramadan? They might close it again. So, the more you extend yung lockdown, the more you increase yung suffering ng mga OFWs. Kasi nga, pag nag-lockdown, 24-hour lockdown, walang work, walang income. Yet, yung bayaran sa bahay, stable, mataas. Binawasan yung sahod, ito yung, ito yung sa bahay, binawasan yung sahod, right? Plus pa yung padala. So, who will actually survive? Kaya nga, I'm, I'm also very surprised. Like, how do mga kababayan natin survive? And remember, yung yung <coughs> yung resilience ng mga kababayan po natin to survive. I mean, it's, it's, it's very admirable, but yet it's something that, you know, our government needs to really think about, no? Lala sa mga legislative process na to. Kasi nga, as I said kanina, they just need yung, ano, yung moral support na lang. I mean, if you can't really help them, alam mo yun, just huwag na lang yung mga rhetoric kasi it just creates more political, ano, uh, tension and confusion sa mga OFWs and it's not okay. Lalo na ngayon, mentally distressed lahat ng mga kababayan po natin, it's, it's not acceptable. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, Froyland. That was oh, really... Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, I wish you could say more, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parang isang oras, ano na, sobrang yeah. siksik at you sobrang... I hope they do have some questions. I mean, I don't know if... if I was Yeah, I would like to read them before. all, pero uh, we're, I think, nag-overtime na tayo na one hour and most of us, okay. baka ikaw marami ka na rin kailangan natapusin. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, I mean, it's always a pleasure. Yung sa akin lang talaga is uh, if, if we're gonna prioritize and protect yung mga OFWs, I think let's start with the most vulnerable ones and that's exactly what our consulate is doing ngayon. And I think yung Senate natin, yung gobyerno natin, pagdating sa repatriation, they really need to think twice before they say those words. There has to be a morally new, uh, offensive sa mga OFWs <laughs> and pagdating sa mga funds, you have to walk the talk. No? And if you say it now, expect to deliver it in a few days, but not in weeks. Kasi nga po, mahirap din yung mga implementing agencies kagaya ng Polo Dubai o yung Polo Kuwait, Polo Qatar. I mean, they will face major, major struggles. And, and that would create a lot of uh, political struggles. Okay, your expectation versus reality. Of course. You know? 
Right. I think you need to be very klaruhin lang. And, and Filipinos are all OFWs are very smart. They know. They know how to they know how to cope, no? Diretsahin mo lang. I think yun yung, yung siguro last point to doon. And I know it's not, it's not an easy time, um, <clears throat> but if you look at young history, if you look at how OFW survived the crisis na to, mapa Libya, mapa Iraq, uh, mapa Kuwait, mapa Lebanon, uh, we bounce back, no? And right. I'm still hopeful na uh, Laban lang. Be, yeah. no? Laban lang. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Roy, and for all Maraming our viewers today. Uh, salamat po for taking time. This is uh, Usapang CQ. I hope next week we'll have another one session. Uh, ano naman? Usapang CQ sa Japan. Okay? With mm-hmm. Professor Michael Cortez. Thank you. Thank you very much, Troy. Thank you, yeah. yeah thank you. Guest. Salamat po. Hindi ko, kayo, hindi ko na mabasa ang mga comments. Next time na lang po. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ingat po. Bye-bye. Yeah. Ingat po. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. And if you want to know more, check out www.guerillapodcast.com.au or guerillapodcast.com.ph. A Guerilla Podcast Syndicate Production.